This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 138, Yoga and Stress Around the World. Did you know that different countries practice yoga differently and approach mental health and stress pretty differently as well? When we travel the world and have a chance to study with different teachers, we start to notice all the different approaches. Our guest of today, Lily Allen Duenas, has been studying and teaching yoga all around the world. So we sat down today to talk about her experience and what she's learned along the way. Lily is now an international yoga teacher, meditation guide, and holistic health and wellness coach. She helps overwhelmed individuals reduce their emotional overload and find balance, breath, and space for self-care. Lily is the founder of the Wild Yoga Tribe and also the host of the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. She endeavors to guide others to find their path to living a life centered on wholehearted well-being. I would really love to read your takeaways on today's episode. So as you listen, take a screenshot of the episode and share one of your takeaways on Instagram, tagging at on and off your mat podcast. I will, of course, reshare you, but everybody that way will be able to read your takeaways and we can go deeper together in the content of each episode. We can learn and grow as a community. All right, let's get to today's episode with Lily. Hi, Lily. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's a joy to be with you. Mm. So for people that might not know you very well, can we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey? Yeah, absolutely. Hello, wonderful listeners. <laughs> My name is Lily Duenas, and I am the founder of the Wild Yoga Tribe and the host of the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. So I'm super excited to be with Erica today. I'm a fan of her work and being here on the show just feels like such a treat. So thank you, Erica, for having me. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about this tribe and this community and what you do and how does that look day to day? Yeah. So I'm an international yoga teacher, meditation teacher, and master Reiki healer. Got a few other things up up the sleeve. Uh, and so when I started, uh, when I first became a yoga teacher, I wanted to continue to travel and do more certifications, do more teaching do more just with the international yoga community. And so as I was traveling, I just kind of fell in love with how many different styles, techniques, and how many just different people and personalities and histories and cultures mm -hmm. and communities just get involved in yoga. It's just so amazing and rich. And I think I'm from the US, I'm from California, and we sometimes can get stuck in my yoga studio is the one you know, next to the Starbucks, you know, you just kind of get locked into your one studio and maybe you have a couple teachers you take classes with. So I wanted to make sure through my work and what I feel called to do is to continue to shine a light on the whole world of yoga, the whole global yoga community. Mm. I think there's so much to learn and so much that we can share and connect over and with. And so that's been just such a joy to be creating this tribe, this amazing people, yoga teachers, meditation teachers, or just people who are curious too as well about the spiritual path or different traditions or cultures. And so it's, yeah, just a place and a space, a podcast as well, where we come together and share. And, you know, people have gotten in touch with yoga teachers just because they're looking for yoga retreats, or maybe they're looking for a restaurant recommendation in the <laughs> towns. And it can be anything and everything. But I think that's what's gorgeous about yoga teachers is we just feel present, you know, present for people who have all types of questions. 
Mm, yeah, absolutely. So what would be one example of like a takeaway or something that was very surprising for you to learn as a travel-based yoga teacher or an international teacher? What's a community that really like, you know, made an impression? Do you have like one go-to that you like to talk about to people like, oh, you have to hear the story about this country? Oh, well, what comes to mind immediately is in my podcast, I interview one yoga teacher from every country around the world, weekly podcast there. And the episode for me that really just like jumps out into mind when you mention this, and I also sent him an email today, so maybe that's why it's top of mind as well, but it's the yoga in Kenya episode mm. um, with Samuel Muthama. He received a scholarship through the Africa Yoga Project to become a yoga teacher. And what was amazing is he used to be involved in criminal activities in Kenya and he was delivering water, you know, big jugs of water. And there's another word for that, but I'm spacing on it. J deliver water to, he ended up delivering it to a yoga teacher and he just noticed the art on the walls and was saying, oh, that wow. looks really interesting. Yeah. I like the vibe in here. <laughs> yeah. And then he had, it was like, what's this about? And then she recommended you get involved. He should apply for a scholarship with the Africa Yoga Project. And he applied and hearing his story about how it just changed his life mm -hmm. and not just his life, but his whole family's life, you know, being able to provide for them and also that energy and the compassion and you know, the lessons that he's learned through the path of yoga and what that's transformed for his family and his community. So that was gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, that is super inspiring for sure. You were also mm -hmm. mentioning that as you travel around the world, you study with different teachers, like you have this opportunity to be a student in different contexts as well, right? So that must be very different. Do you find that the way yoga is taught varies greatly from country to country? Or like, how was your experience of that? Yeah, I think that that's a beautiful question. And I do think that yoga does vary by even teacher, right? By each yeah, teacher sure. kind of brings something different to the practice, to the tradition. What texts are they pulling from? Or are they really wanting to weave in a different kind of spiritual lens? Mm -hmm. Because I've taken a lot of yoga from people who are Adam, you know, very solid Buddhists. And so having that kind of pulling in versus a Hindu tradition or versus even, you know, Christian traditions, there's amazing, very strong faith Christians in Belize or in other countries as well, who definitely bring that up and, and talk about that as well. But in terms of what I've noticed and being different is more, I suppose, if you go back to the root of India, and if you're studying in India, normally I will say that you will feel totally tapped into like the authentic roots of yoga, but it's going to be a little bit more intense, a little more rigid in expectations. And mm -hmm. I felt like my I teachers, I always would say one of them felt like a hawk, like the minute he walks in the room, like his eyes are on you and he's kind of, you know, strutting around, not strutting in the arrogant way, but strutting in that like proud and that, you know, I strong presence. And another teacher felt like a lion, like this ferocious energy where you just want to perform almost and not perform in the sense I'm an actress, but perform in the sense of I'm on the mat, I'm bringing everything to the mat, my performance, my actual- yeah, in a sense of validation. Right. Yeah. From so years. that was in India, very strong. And you agreed for sure. I agree. And yeah. That was my experience too. Yeah. In Nepal, where I did my initial yoga teacher training, the first 200 hours, 
it's softer. It still feels rooted in the source, absolutely, but it's this more gentleness, more of a compromise almost mm. with and a fluidity to it. So those are two that I, I like to compare because often people will ask, you know, oh, where did you do your yoga teacher training? And I've done more trainings in India. So those are two that pop to mind. But of course, as you're living in Costa Rica, maybe you've taken a retreat or a course with yoga teachers there. I think that each culture definitely brings in like just different elements, whether it's spiritual based or whether it's tradition based or just personality. Even For sure. For sure. <laughs> Like from person to person, even in, within the same tradition, even within the same studio in the same city, it could be night and day. So I'm sure it's so exciting and so inspiring to practice with such an area of teacher where they bring something so different to the table. Really yeah. keeps it fresh. Totally. <laughs> so when we look at the yoga practice, you know, we have kind of different reasons why we practice or we teach. And I was just talking about this on our last episode, guys, with Joanne Lutz, if you caught it. And there's yoga for, you know, a physical practice. There's yoga for a spiritual practice. And there's yoga more as like a therapy for body, mind, spirit. And we kind of look at those three big buckets of why we teach, why we practice. And within that therapy more base, I find more and more we're seeing that type of yoga. And I know we've talked about this, you and me together in the sense of like using yoga for mental health, using yoga for stress management and how it's just arising in certain parts of the world, or it's a newer concepts, newer concept. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something so what a gift, Erica. Like how much can we celebrate the fact that around the world, we're all starting to just have a, a little bit of a sharper lens on mental health and how we go to the dentist for our, the health of our teeth, an eye doctor for the health of our eyes. Why shouldn't we go to a mental health professional for our mind and our emotions? And I think it's just so beautiful. And that's something very common that when I talk to yoga teachers from other countries that they'll start they'll comment on that. They will say, you know, doctors are prescribing yoga in different countries. They're starting to nudge their patients towards if they're suffering from insomnia, anxiety, back pain, all these different things. Mm -hmm. The doctors are starting to say, oh, why don't you try yoga? Maybe they're prescribing as well um, a pill to go with that or maybe not. But what I think is amazing is that there's more awareness being generally built up in that direction. And, and I feel like that's almost universal. I feel like all my guests, I've had 50 episodes, 50 guests so far, nearly universally have commented on that, how doctors are starting to send them wow. their physical ailments or that there are people are coming to the class saying, I have an ailment, back pain, anxiety. I want to do yoga to help that, whether it's an internal impetus and drive to go in or an external from a doctor. That, of course, varies person to person. But I just love that it's becoming more of a thing universally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it shows that we're moving in a different direction and that people are starting to look for other options than just a quick fix pill kind of solution. And that really makes me happy. <laughs> mm, definitely makes me happy too. Just like spirit is glowy and happy because of it. Because it was interesting too, when I talked to this yoga teacher a couple of weeks ago from Argentina, she said there's more psychologists and mental health professionals per capita than any other country in the world. 
Argentina has just for generations, I guess, been really kind of ahead of its time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. That was a huge surprise to me. Yeah. That's a fun fact. (laughs) I didn't know that about Argentina. Yeah. Way to go. (laughs) (laughs) So I know you're personally passionate about stress management as well, and you've learned a ton on the subject with the years of practicing, of teaching, and of podcasting with all these people from around the world. Can we dig in a little bit with that? Because it's a subject we talk a lot about on the podcast. It's something I'm also pretty keen on. So yeah, let's (laughs) dig in. I love it. Okay. I think one thing like where we need to start, I think one thing that stops people from addressing their stress, I don't know if you'll agree, and like looking at the impacts on their mental and physical health is just being clear on whether or not they're stressed. Like we're so accustomed to being so stressed that we kind of forget what it is not to be, I feel. And like, we don't even notice it's there anymore. And so when people are not quite able to recognize the signs, they're not going to act on, do nothing, sorry, do anything about it. Right. So what's your experience of stress? How do you know if, or when you're stressed, how does that look like for you in your life? Mm. I think personally, it's definitely been a journey of like getting to know what about my body is sending messages and signals like, hey, that's stress talking. And so I want to emphasize it is definitely a process. You don't just wake up one day and you all of a sudden understand the language of your body. <laughs> it's through you know reflection, time, yoga, practices that get you to look inward and internally that you start to kind of understand the messages. So for me, the biggest and loudest signal is an upset stomach or, you know, just a tightness in my belly or, you know, a grumbly stomach or, you know, anything in the gut for me is really a huge signal. Hey, you might want to pay attention to something. Secondary, I'm really keen on now paying attention if my shoulders are up just a little bit. It's pretty sad. We normally, a lot of us will carry a lot of tension in our necks and our upper shoulders because of our devices, but we also carry unnecessary tension because we're hunching. We're in this fight and flight kind of clenching of the muscles and even not just the shoulders. All of your muscles are a little bit tighter, are a little bit clenched. You're ready to fight a tiger. So your stress signal is definitely getting your body ready to run or ready to fight. And in doing that, all of your muscles are going to hold extra tension. That's a huge deal. That's a huge deal carrying muscular tension throughout the entire body for a sustained amount of time. I love to think about if we're having our biceps flexed. I mean, just if we're taking our fist and drawing it towards our shoulders, imagine just doing that for two hours. Oh my gosh, just two hours and that bicep is going to just be screaming at you. It's sad in a way that all of our little micro muscles throughout our body that's being clenched doesn't have that loud of a voice as that bicep if I was clenching it for two straight hours. But you know, over time, that's why we say, ah, I'm in so much pain or ah, my shoulder. It's because that voice gets louder and louder and louder the more we don't listen to it. Yeah, for sure. So for me, it's not gut really. Like the gut will come later, but for me, it's sleep. That's the first key. Like if I'm stressed, I don't sleep well. If I Mm. don't do like a night routine that helps me settle and relax, I have trouble falling asleep. I'll have insomnia or I'll wake up during the night or I'll feel agitated. Like my dreams are intense, you know? So like 
that's another telltale sign. (laughs) And the tension, the tension for me is not quite in the shoulders, although that's common, but it's more like neck and jaw area. It's just a notch higher, right? Like I'm going to start to feel like it's not pain in the beginning, but it's just like, my neck feels a little wonky. Like, right. Like you're like, "Mm, there's some discomfort going on. Those are like my version of the two examples that you gave and the gut will come later. I feel like it takes a little bit more time for my gut to catch up to the stress than for like my sleep, which is interesting. Mm. No, my sleep for sure will be affected, but I feel like with my gut, it's like the minute I get stressed, I have like a 20 minute window to either (laughs) deregulate or man, something's going to happen with my stomach. That's so good to know, though, that you're like, okay, I got a 20 minute window. I got to deal with this right now. Otherwise, I'm going to regret it later. Like learning those patterns is so helpful for yourself. Just like I was saying, like, I need to take a little bit of time before bed. It's worth taking that time. It's not just I should do a bedtime routine. No, it's like it's actually impacting the quality of my sleep quite a bit. So that makes it super worth it. Right. And which impacts the quality of your life. Like it's not just the sleep. Like it just you know, totally transcends. And that's, I think, something I love talking about is kind of helping people realize how stress is such a big deal. As you kind of alluded to, we're all stressed. We all accept it. Part of our lives now. But really saying, "Uh uh-oh, like this is actually a huge deal that I feel stressed and I don't manage that. Like there's Mm -hmm. sincere and severe repercussions in our bodies when we're not handling stress. Yeah. So what would you say to people? They're like, meh, it's whatever. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody is stressed. What are those repercussions? What are those consequences? Yes. So just first off, I do want to point out too that our nervous systems, they don't have like a sensor saying like, oh, low stress versus high Mm. stress. It's Mm -mm. all high red alert. It's all a real tiger is honestly going to chase us and kill us. It's not just a quote unquote paper tiger where it's an email or it's an appointment or conversation. It's your body acts in survival mode as if it's a tiger. So that's something to highlight just first. So people realize there's no low, medium, high. It's just all high. Yeah, it's on or off. Yes, bingo, on off, switch, just like that. So then I like to kind of let people know, okay, so stress honestly affects all of the systems of your body, which is going to include the musculoskeletal, the respiratory, cardiovascular, endocrine, gastrointestinal, and reproductive and nervous system. Like your entire body gets affected and they're like, okay, well, sure, that sounds nice. Okay, what happens first? What happens first when the switch goes on? So your adrenal glands, which are like these little like top hats, I like to think of them on top of your kidneys, they're going to pump adrenaline. And people say, yeah, that makes sense. You get stressed, adrenaline will go. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when we get stressed, the on switch gets flipped. How much adrenaline are we talking? Well, we're talking about a three coffee cup equivalent. So imagine for the whole day, your adrenaline is pumping three cups of coffee into your veins on repeat. That's an IV drip of coffee. Like, <laughs> no wonder. No wonder we startle quickly. We have anxiety. We feel shaky. Our mind won't stop moving. We can't go to sleep. We can't go to sleep, of course, because we have these IV drip of coffee all day long, as in the adrenaline coffee, but real coffee as well doesn't help with that extra boost. But okay, so why don't we talk about, okay, the tissues then. So the glucose, the fats, and the proteins are released from our fatty tissues when we get cells. And people say, oh, that's great. My fatty tissues are releasing stuff. Like, that's cool. Am I losing weight? 
Well, not exactly. You don't actually have time to digest anything as well. So if you had part of a burrito, you know, like everything's just getting released into your system. That's to get your body really ready for fight and flight. So if that happens all day long, you're going to have muscle waste. You're not losing just the fatty tissues. It's muscular waste Mm -hmm. as well. You're going to have extra glucose just floating around in your circulatory system. Okay. What does extra glucose lead to? Well, strokes, clots, Mm -hmm. type 2 diabetes, circulatory disorders. These are huge and they're all linked to an overactivation of the stress response. So Mm -hmm. I did just mention clots. So, okay, what else about clots? Well, if you're about to be bit by a tiger or an email, I suppose, these clotting agents are released into your blood. It's an inflammation response. If the tiger bites you, you're not going to hemorrhage. So what is all of that extra clotting agents in our system? What does that lead to? Thick and sludgy blood. Your blood is not as like you know, easy, able to circulate again, it's going to just be just this gnarly, heavy, thick, not very healthy blood. And that's sustained, you know, throughout the whole day with the stress response. So of course we can go into your pupils are dilating, your brain activity increases, your muscles tighten to prepare for action. In the long term, you can't release the muscle tension. You can't shut off the mind. You don't even realize you're clenching. It's all linked So, of course, I can, you know, keep going down the list, but I hope your listeners are kind of like, oh, wait, like this is a bigger deal. You know, this this stress thing really is huge impacts on the entire system. Yeah, I think the thing we need to remember, even if we don't know all the details of everything that happens, is that it is constant. And that on its own is a problem. Like no matter what is the consequences of your stress, the fact that it's chronic in our life that is a huge deal because we have a routine that we do the same things-ish every day. We go to work with the same people in the same environment. We have the same kind of to-do list. We drive in the same traffic and we, you know, all the things that might create stress, we repeat the same thought pattern again and again and again. All of those things are just always there. And if we don't make any change on anything, it just keeps adding on. Absolutely. It does. It keeps adding on. And not just that, but as you mentioned, how chronic it is, how we do almost everything kind of similarly the same day. If we're not taking steps to deregulate the nervous system, to turn down the stress, then, I mean, you got to break the cycle or else you're going to be probably, I hope not, I'm sorry to say, I mean, but there's going to be health repercussions Mm -hmm. from not taking some kind of action. So, everything's going to start screaming louder and louder until you actually listen. So that's, I think, a sad but true kind of fact on yeah. why we really should, you know, do some stuff to elicit the parasympathetic response, you know, really try to tap into the deregulation, deactivation of the stress response. And that's why yoga is so great. But not everyone has time for a full, you know, even 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's little things we can do that even just take three minutes, five minutes that we can just help to kind of deregulate. It's great. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. If people are like, okay, if I'm being honest, I am hearing the whispers of my body and I've been ignoring them. So now what, you know, like what kind of practices can we bring in for busy people to help them deregulate, deactivate, elicit that parasympathetic response, or just like move their baseline a little closer to ventral vagal, like just a little like step-by-step being like, okay, I'm creating more tolerance in my body. I'm releasing more stress. 
How does that look for you? Do you have favorite go-to quick practices that you use for yourself? Oh, for sure. And also I was laughing inside very loudly when you said the whispers of my body I'm paying attention to because it's like, oh, if you're whispering, I like, who are you? And that's amazing because everyone else is like screaming. <laughs> okay. The screams of my body. I take there it back. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> So what I think is just a great thing to do is just a safe inversion, just getting your head below your heart. It slows your heart rate down. It slows your breath down. Safe inversions are so beautiful to practice, whether you want to just do a down dog or whether you want to get a couple pillows and just do a safe inversion Um, with that. I'm sure Erica has some great examples on her awesome Instagram page, (laughs) but a safe inversion is always something I recommend as well Mm -hmm. as deep breathing. Everyone, you know, has different pranayama practice, different breathing techniques, but having just deep belly breaths, as simple as that, taking three minutes and spending just a little bit of extra focus, maybe on the exhale on that big release. The fun fact is that on every exhale, our heartbeat slows down just a fraction. Mm -hmm. And on every inhale, the heartbeat speeds up just a little bit. So just having that awareness on the slowness of our heart, just slowing down gently, very minimally, nothing to alarm yourself about. If you have anxiety, don't think I'm telling you your heart's (laughs) going to stop on an exhale, just the very, you know, slow, tiny differences. It's beautiful. Repetitive movement is amazing for activating the parasympathetic. So repetitive movement can be a salutation or it can be as simple as making a little mudra with your hands or tapping, finger tapping. But I like doing the mudra and then doing a little tapping on my chest as well with impaired with the inhales and the exhales, just kidding, something rhythmic, inhale, exhale with the taps. It's so beautiful for calming, silence, calm sounds, music mantra, those I think are all just really beautiful things. Just any attempt alone to try to elicit this parasympathetic usually will be successful just to move the needle a little. I think that's something to remember. That's a positive thing. Yeah. Any attempt you're going to try, you will move the needle because that's the intention that you're setting forth. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting for people to pick up that we're talking about things that take two minutes, three minutes, you know, like it doesn't have to be something that takes a lot of time. It could be something you do depending on the practices. Like you talk about mantra and these kind of things. Let's say we take like humming. Humming is one of my favorite tools to relax, you know, your nervous system to elicit that parasympathetic response. You can do that in the car. You know, you can hum on every exhale and just vibrate, you know, the letter M or like the sound OM. You'll feel a difference, right? Like it doesn't have to even be a formal setting. Of course, it will probably help to sit quietly and, you know, turn your attention more fully inward. But if you know you're super stressed in traffic and you're always stressed when you drive and you're tense when you drive, maybe you bring a tiny practice in that container as well, right? Like I think it's good for people to hear that it could be quick, it could be easy, you know, they could personalize it to what they need during their day. Yes. And yes, totally tiny. And I think in as many different containers, taking things off the mat and on the mat, <laughs> like I'm making these little sounds because it's your podcast, <laughs> your brand name. <laughs> Pun intended. Yes. Making these little steps to be off the mat and on the mat, I think is amazing for balance, for kind of having that well-rounded kind of wellness and wholeness and things we're cultivating. If we're just spending that, you know, one hour, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is on the mat, practicing humming or something repetitive, it's like, that's so gorgeous, such good time. But when we take it off the mat, I really feel like that's when the juicy, delicious transformation does occur. 
So I definitely encourage the humming in the car or <laughs> you know, um, doing a mantra when you're washing dishes. There's so many different practices. And I think it's yeah. great to connect with people like Erica or me or a yoga professional, a wellness coach, so that if you are noticing you're getting really stressed in a certain environment, Erica and I both know and can come up with different things to try. I For mean, sure. we can come up with a fun game even. We're like, okay, why don't we shift your perspective that instead of, you know, getting stressed in the car when you're looking at the traffic, you just play a game with yourself when you're, you know, imagining different lives or you're listening to a positive, you know, we can we can come up with stuff together. I think that's why it's so great to always be in conversation if you're needing some ideas or something where you feel like you need a resource to tap into. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to make it feel like it's not one other thing you have to do and add to your list and you add stress on your own self, you know, cause you're like, oh, now I have to do these practices. I have to add them to what I am already doing, but it's more about finding little ways that you can feel better throughout the day. And like seeing it as a way of caring for yourself and being loving and compassionate for yourself. And when we learn to take those practices off the mat, I think we're able to respond to our needs quicker, right? It's not like I have to wait to tomorrow or to next Tuesday when I go to class on the mat. It's like, wait, I can do like this one thing right now. I don't have to wait, right? I don't need to be on the mat. I don't even need to be led over time. Like you learn, you learn what your body prefers. And, you know, you gave examples of your favorites. I name an extra one. That's my favorite. Like you find what works best for you, what gives you the most direct, easy response. And that will become a go-to. And then you can implement that everywhere. Anytime you need it, you wake up in the middle of the night, you can do it for a minute. You know, you're fighting with someone. You could be like, okay, let's take five and let's come back to this in a second. I'm going to take a minute to calm down. Right? Like there's so many ways in our lives that we can bring it off the mat. Oh, absolutely. And it translates into relationships, into professional environments, personal family. It's like the ripple effect of implementing just a couple two-minute strategies, it's really, really noticeable, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just had a friend a few days ago, we were texting back and forth about a conversation we needed to have and like we wanted to have it in person. And he was like, okay, I can come over right now if you want. And I was like, okay, give me 10 minutes because he was just around the corner. I'm like, give me 10 minutes and I'll be more ready to have this conversation, right? Like I'm going to take a little bit of time for me and like quiet down and get ready to be open hearted to be listening right to be like it's even further than just your health but like all of the other things that we do in life that add stress like for me a conversation that i know is going to be uncomfortable is stressful for my body right like i'm tense and i'm like oh no what's going to happen but if you take a moment to settle to get ready then this conversation happened like so beautifully it was so beautiful it was so honest it was open so there's even bigger impact than just feeling healthy, right? Yeah, absolutely there is. And I love how you mentioned just taking 10 minutes, taking, because that's the practice I like to refer to as the practicing the pause, just taking the pause, whether it's 10 seconds or 10 minutes or, you know, two hours, whatever that pause means to you. I think in any situation, the pause will give you more of an opportunity to kind of find your truth, speak from a place of authenticity and of kindness, or actually know what you do want. 
You know, do you always just gut react and say yes to everything? Mm-hmm. You know, just having that practice of the pause could hopefully give you a little bit, just a fraction of a second or a fraction, or hopefully not a fraction of a second. We'll say that again, 10 seconds or more to really <laughs> think about what you want to say, what you want to bring. And I think that's just a great thing to practice in on all situations, pause. But I know in our contemporary society, it's rush, 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 go, 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 produce, 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 be efficient. And that, you know, darn social media, we have 15 second now, it's timed, 15 second awareness. Yeah. That's all we want. And so if you're not telling me in 15 seconds, I'm bored and I'm distracted, or if you're not getting to the heart of it in 15 seconds. And so I think it's very hard for us to take any kind of pause now. We feel so compelled to go faster and, and make it better and do it and do it. So whew, practicing that pause feels just so important mm-hmm. in this time, uh, day and age. Absolutely. Is there anything particular in your life that brought you to wanting to learn about these things or wanting to teach about these things? How did it change you and your experience of life? Yeah, um, I actually came to it all very young. My parents were not into it. I'll lead with that. I'll just say my parents aren't like Buddhists and they don't meditate. They're just like normal, you know. I won't say they're normal. Wow, I'm saying people who meditate are not normal. What did my I just favorite do? types of weirdos? <laughs> yes. So I would say my parents aren't spiritual and don't have spiritual practices that they passed on to me. But when I was maybe 11 or 12, I started at the YMCA at a summer camp, a week of morning meditation classes. And then I first came to a yoga class when I was 16 and it just was offered at a local gym. And I never even heard of the word yoga before. This was way before the craze. There was no smartphones back then. You know, there was no, I mean, I had an ethernet cable. Okay. I mean, if your listeners are of a certain generation, they'll totally get it. And if not, they won't, but yoga was a new word and a new thing. But I always felt, I think maybe starting at seven, eight, nine, you know, whatever that age is where you start to kind of realize how your mind works and be more observant Mm. of the people around you, kind of having that more of a watcher, more of an observer, more aware and tuned into things. I really realized, gosh, my brain just will not stop. Like I just felt like I, my mind has to be different than other people's brains. It has to, because it's just crazy crazy town. Yeah. This crazy little monkey running. And I just knew it. You know, when I was little, I said, gosh, something's up. But now, of course, as an adult and a practitioner, I know there's nothing wrong with my mind. There's nothing different about it. We all have very busy minds. And a lot of that is, you know, a category of stress and a category also of your dosha, of your Ayurvedic dosha. If you're Vata, Pitta, Kapha, I have my Vata predominant. So I have a lot of wind in me, a lot of quickness in the mind and anxiety. And so I I do think fall more into the busier mind bucket, but we all are there. And so I've been very grateful that I always have sought tools always Mm. for calmness and stillness and growth. Always. So interesting how like young kids start to do these things. For me too, it started really early. Like I had a very strong interest for like deep reflection, like at a very young age and like the growth and the understanding of like life. And like, what is this about? You know, like I came home one day from like seventh grade telling my parents, I'm going to go on a silent retreat in a monastery. (laughs) They were like, what? Why? I was like, 
I don't know. I'm, I want to like, <laughs> did you do that when you were 12? Yeah, I did. I was 13. What? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Was it a, a Vipassana, a 10 day silent? No, or? it was to just live with the monks, like in the place near where I lived, where it was silent all day. When the sun was up, you can talk when the sound was down after dinner or very early in the morning. But like at 4 a.m., they started with chants and like all the things, right? And then you would work in the orchard for the day and they had like, you know, they would make cheese and make apple products and you would just help around in silence. And, you know, there was like groups, there was a group led of like reflection and it was just an experience that I don't know if most 12, 13, 14 year old would ever be interested in, you know? Oh, so cool. I think if I was in your town, I would have said, Eric, I'm coming with you. <laughs> I love that you did that though, because I've done similar things as an adult, but to have that as such a young formative age, like what a gift. I'm so glad you sought that out. I mean, I didn't wow. really, it was uh, like at my school, like we call it high school, even when you're at that age in Quebec, but there was like this one person responsible for activities and like spiritual things. And he had that on the wall as an option. And I was like, I want to go do that. Like, he was like, wow, this is cool. I don't know why, but I was into it. <laughs> did you ever go back? An another I time? did. I brought a friend a few years later. I was like, let's go together, be in silence for the weekend. Mm -hmm. Maybe like at 16 or 15. Awesome. Yeah, I know. So we have a few things in common for sure in our journey in different ways. I think a lot of, you know, seekers do. Anything yes. Anything else you want to add before we finish? If there's like one takeaway on our stress that you would like listeners to leave with, what would that be today? Mm. I would just encourage your listeners to just practice listening, mm. practice listening to your body, practice paying attention to what you're noticing, whether it's a gurgling stomach, a trouble sleeping, a tension in the jaw, you know, whatever the little things are you're noticing, just pay attention to it and then practice the pause so you can hopefully relax it a little. Mm, beautiful. I'll put all your info in the show notes, obviously, but in the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you? If they want to say hello, they want to look into all the things you're doing, they want to reach out from a country you haven't done already and talk to you about what's going on there, where's the best place for them to go? Thanks. Yeah. Wildyogatribe.com or any social media platform you want at Wild Yoga Tribe. You'll find me there. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Erica. It's been so fun to be it's with a lovely you. lovely chat. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, leave a review for this episode or the podcast in general, anywhere you listen. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, you'll find them at ericabelanger.com slash 138. And before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible. And that includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time.